Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Let's put the passage in context as we begin to move through it. Uh, You'll notice that verse at the beginning of what we read says, especially those. I want to remind you of what that is pointing back to. It says in verse 9, right before that, the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of, uh, he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those. He's saying there are some that are especially being watched by God. He is preparing judgment for them and especially those. That sets the stage for what we're going to look at today. It is a group of people that have chosen to disobey God, that have chosen to lead others to disobey and to defy God, and they are very, very dangerous, especially within the church. So the first thing I want us to notice in the passage is this. False teachers follow their flesh, they feed their flesh, and they fuel their flesh. It is constantly a focus on the flesh. So notice what it says in verse 10. Especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust or the evil desires of uncleanness. So it's all about the flesh. Uh, You'll find false teachers making exceptions for their own behavior because they are lusting and thirsting after things of the world that, that feed their flesh and they will excuse that not only in their own life but in the lives of others. They'll even use themselves as an example of getting God's okay for those sinful desires that they are pursuing in their lives. And perhaps you've seen that in the lives of false teachers. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go on a search for false teachers to listen to because we take the Word of God as being true, and so we don't have to spend a lot of time looking at the false. The only reason I become acquainted with that is so that I know how to address some things that tend to attack the flock that I am responsible for. But just think about following flesh, feeding their flesh, and fueling their flesh. They're just overcome with these desires. Now, it, it can be a desire for pride or to be prominent, a desire to have power over others. It can quickly degenerate into something that ungodly. And from the surface, it still looks that it's apparently good. But if they're feeding their flesh and fueling their flesh, what are they doing for their hearers? The very same thing. Remember in 2 Timothy it warns us that there'll be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will gather around themselves teachers to tickle their itching ears to say what they want to hear. It's very dangerous. That's how harmful 
heretics are. People are drawn to that. They, they gather them around to tickle their itching ears. Have you ever known someone that began to listen to a false teacher? Or they began to embrace some false doctrine? And you saw no change in lifestyle. You saw no spiritual perspective. But somehow they became convinced that they were okay in their ungodly desires because it fell in the boundaries of the teaching of this teacher. That happens day after day after day. So why do we have to be cautious? Because we can listen to the true teaching of God's Word for the wrong reasons. We can come looking for something that is completely ungodly. So uh, we have to constantly ask ourselves this. Do you listen to a teacher or a preacher to feel better or to follow Christ better? Do you listen to a teacher who makes you feel better or to a teacher because he helps you follow Christ better? Anytime I've questioned someone about a false teacher, you know what one of the first things they say? But I feel so good after I've listened to them. Well, I feel really good after I've eaten a lot of chocolate, too. But it's bad for my diabetes. It's not good for me. Cotton candy tastes really good. But it's just flavored air, isn't it? And people get caught up on cotton candy Christianity that... that Tastes good and feels good, but there's no substance to it. But that's how people try to justify false teaching. Well, they make me feel good, or I, I feel like they understand where I'm coming from. I, I, I feel so much more knowledgeable after I listen to them because they tell me things that I can't find in the Bible. If you can't find it here, you don't need it. And so they develop this materialistic mindset that is anchored to the world and not to the kingdom of God. They're building an empire, not building the kingdom. That's the danger. Now think about the words of Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where it says that we are to place our affections... Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, what it's saying is if you belong to Christ and you have embraced his death and his resurrection for your salvation, if you were raised with Christ, seek seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, a false teacher will do just the opposite of that in a person's life. He will challenge you or she will challenge you to set your affection on the things of this world. Whether it's peace or prosperity or whatever it might be, it's all about here and now. It's nothing about eternity and it's nothing about the kingdom of Christ in heaven. But we're to set our affections there. Wherever your heart is reveals where your treasure is, Jesus said. 
So if they're focused on the here and now, uh, on the physical, what you can see, false teachers typically walk by sight and not by faith. They walk by sight and not by faith. All the while they're raising funds, they're telling people to live by faith. Do you see the inconsistency in that? They'll say, if you'll just trust God, he'll meet your need. But what are they doing? They're acting opposite of what they're saying. So you have to be very cautious because of this materialistic mindset that seeks the things below and not the things above. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, there's a great warning there as well about this world. It says in 1 John 2, 15 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now that's not saying don't love people or anything like that. It's saying don't buy into the mindset of the culture. Don't, don't love the world. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Now you can measure most of what is taught by a false teacher by that criterion there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if that's our passion, the love of the Father doesn't dwell in us, that's revealing lostness, not one who is saved. So we're not to love the world some false teaching seldom refers to scripture except to twist something out of it and they very seldom will mention Christ and if they do they very seldom will mention the cross unless it's to their benefit Remember what the Apostle Paul said? I saw nothing among you, he told the Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and him crucified, lest your faith be in the wisdom of men and not the power of God. And so if a person loves Jesus, they're going to talk about Jesus. If a person is called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, they're going to talk about sin in people's lives. They're going to talk about how Sin condemns you to death spiritually and eternally to hell. They're going to talk about the great need you have for a Savior. And his name is Jesus, and only Jesus, who died for you. There is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me and so if they can proclaim this message that they have and never mention Jesus the cross or the eternal wrath of God that awaits those who don't know Christ then they are a false teacher wouldn't you say and they love something more than they love him and so that's what Peter's warning about 
in 2 Peter chapter 2. They are driven by this lust, this fleshly desire that longs for more things and they end up using people and loving things rather than loving people and using things in the proper perspective. And so one reason heretics are so harmful is that they follow, they feed, and they fuel their flesh and the flesh of the hearers. So our goal should be, even when we, we come to worship, is not come to get a good flesh feeding, not to just uh, feel better because we did it, but hopefully come desiring to follow Christ better and to deny ourselves better that we may pick up his cross and follow him daily. So are you feeding and fueling your flesh, feeding and fueling your faith? One way you feed and fuel your faith is you set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. Well, then there's a second reason that heretics are harmful. These false teachers arrogantly assume unauthorized authority. Unauthorized authority. I love to read biographies of great leaders, but but primarily those that have been used by God in a mighty way in history. I love to read biographies. You know what biographies I seldom read? Unauthorized biographies. You know why? They're unauthorized. They they have great freedom when they put that on there. They're basically saying, I'm not responsible for what I'm saying. Uh, I haven't gotten approval to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. When you listen to a false teacher, you're listening to someone who claims to have unauthorized authority because they are definitely not called by God because to be called by God is to do what God says a leader will do. And we talked about that at the beginning of this message. And so the second reason they're harmful is they are arrogantly assuming unauthorized authority. So notice what it says. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They despise authority. Now immediately we think of human authority. And that is true. They will establish themselves as this unauthorized authority among the people of God. And one of the the key things they do is they begin to shoot suspicion at those that have been placed in authority by God. And they begin to call into question the true teaching of the pure word of God. And they begin to add to or take away from that in order to gather a hearing. Because they despise authority. But the thing that's most dangerous about them is not just that they despise God-ordained human authority. They despise 
God's authority. You might say, well, I don't, I don't really see that. When someone claims to be able to speak something into existence by their faith, you just speak it and it will happen? Or you just tell God what you want and he'll give it to you? Who's in authority there? Not God. They have despised God's authority. They have usurped that or attempted to to become the authority. It's very subtle. It appears to be so unique and so special that they can say what they want and get what they want. But the reality is the whole time they're doing that, they're lowering God and they're lifting themselves because they despise authority. Because they have set themselves up undermining and ignoring the authority that God has put in place. Why do you think so much of their teaching is outside of this book? They despise authority. They don't want to live in the boundaries of what the Bible says, so they come up with these novel ideas and novel insights that have virtually nothing to do with Scripture that will feed someone's flesh and put them in that position of authority because they truly despise God's authority and any authority that he's put in place. The word despise in the Greek language means to look down on or to think down on and disregard. To, to look down on or disregard. Here's a way they might do it. Yeah, you can go there to get the basics. But after a while... You need to hear something new. The reality is, a person that's called by God is not called to tell anybody anything that's new. To come out of the Word of God that has stood the test of time. And how many times have you heard someone say, yeah, I got all that stuff, and I grew up in a Baptist church, but then I, I launched out here to this new revelation out here. They got tired of the authority of God's Word. They got tired of hearing the, the truths that have been established in God's Word. And so it's a, a thinking down on or a disregarding of the Word of God. Now, now let's kind of put these two together. They're lusting after the flesh. They're disregarding authority. So what are they doing? They're claiming to love the world while they love God. You know what, what Jesus said about that? Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either he'll love the one, hate the other, or he'll hate the one and love the other. You can't serve two masters. And so what happens? This love for God goes away, and they're drawn more and more and more to a love of the world. And if you love the world, what does that imply about your vision of God, you hate and despise God enough to love the world that he told you not to love. But Jesus warned us, you can't stay in the middle. You can't live with one foot in the world and, and one foot in the kingdom. You can't live loving the world and loving God at the same time. And that's why this whole move has created the to 
put God's blessing on loving the world when in reality they have no authority to do that. They've despised God's authority. They're loving the world and no one can serve two masters. They're as confused as the man in the Civil War that didn't decide which side to be on. So he got him a gray jacket and a blue pair of pants and both sides shot at him then. You just can't ride the fence, can you? Jesus said you'll love one or hate the other. There's no middle ground. And so over time, false teachers will begin to love themselves, love the dynamic they're getting out of this, and being in that position of unsupervised authority in people's lives. They despise authority, which leads to a defiant dismissal of the lordship of Christ in their lives. Jesus gave his life on the cross to redeem us, to ransom us from sin, to bring glory to the Father, to spare us from the wrath to come. It was all about his mercy when he died for us. And in his grace, he gives us love and joy and peace. Those are byproducts that come as a result of his death on the cross. He did not die on the cross so that we could tell him what we want and get it from him. He never gave us his authority to exercise over him. But you find that kind of doctrine creeping into the church, don't you? So to embrace a false teacher and to be drawn to that is to allow them to assume a place of authority in your life. That's why it's so harmful. You're saying, this person is a heretic, but they make me feel so good, and I'm drawn to this, and I'm giving in to this, and I can't stop watching this or listening to this. What have you done? You have put yourself under an authority rather than the one established by God. It's very harmful and deadly in a person's life. Then the third and final thing is false teachers are recklessly irresponsible and irreverent. Notice what it says here. They are presumptuous, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries or glories. We'll talk about that in a moment. Whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So what's Peter saying here? He's saying there are beings that are more spiritual than we are in a sense. We have been created a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels. We do not command them. We do not rule over them. They're God's ministering spirits that minister to us, the scripture says. But it says early on that there are false, fallen angels that have fallen into a place of sin. And here he's referring back to that. He's saying these angels 
in a spiritual sense, would never speak ill or evil of those fallen angels because that is God's job, not theirs. They have a respect for God's position and they do not recklessly and irreverently focus on those fallen angels. So he's talking here about an accusation of angels from other angels. Now what happens with a false teacher? They have all accusations, don't they? They begin to accuse true teachers of having false motives. They begin to accuse a true Christ of, of having impure motives and hidden agendas about people. And typically they're actually accusing the true based on what they know about themselves as being false. However, they level accusation after accusation after accusation. You might say, well, what's the big deal about that? You know what one of Satan's titles is? He's the accuser of the saints. And here, that's the picture. There's this reckless, irresponsible irreverence about false teachers. They are presumptuous, self-willed, not afraid to speak evil of that which is God's position to do so. There's a parallel passage to this that we haven't looked at much in this series, but in Jude, there's only one chapter, verses 9 and 10, it says something very similar. Yet, well, verse 8, likewise also these dreamers defile flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of glorious ones. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they are corrupt themselves. Okay, now think about this false authority that leads to this irreverence, this reckless, irresponsible irreverence, where they dare to speak to Satan. I don't want to waste my time on him. God has authority over him. I don't. I have authority in a sense, but it's God-given and God-applied. And so I, I don't need to address evil spirits. I don't need to address Satan. Christ has addressed him on the cross and it's by his blood that we overcome the evil one. And I seek for God to rebuke him. 
I'll ask him to rebuke the enemy, to shut the mouths of lions, to disperse demons out of our presence. I will ask God to please do that, but only God has the authority to do that. I'm not going to waste my time arguing with the devil. I'm going to go to the top source, and that's God himself, and let his almighty power take care of that. And so Michael, the archangel, did not mess with that. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. Let God take care of you, not me. But you see where that reckless, irreverent, irresponsible mindset comes when you begin to think you're the authority? And, and you can tell people what to do and they do it. You tell demons what to do and they do it. The reality is only God has all authority in any and every level of the spirit world and in the world of humanity. So they end up giving orders to angels and to the Almighty. which is the height of irreverence and blasphemy. Have you ever heard one of these false teachers claim that they saw Jesus? That Jesus, you know, was looking for some fellowship, kind of got tired of the Trinity, and so he decided to come to them and hang out with them? And have you noticed when they talk about Jesus, he sounds so much like them? And, and he talks in their vernacular. He, he talks to them like a buddy to buddy. And, and they, they have this irresponsible irreverence for Jesus. But, but it puts them in a position of authority because I hung out with Jesus and I looked at him, he looked at me and he said, boy, you need to start doing this and I'll do this and da, 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 da. And it is so, so heretical and blasphemous because they have irreverence even for Jesus himself. Why do you think they come to that teaching that we are just like Christ, we can speak things into existence. We can have authority over these things. Jesus is the one over authority, over all authorities. But you need to be cautious because they even have authority over the Almighty to listen to them. So they're harmful because they follow, feed, and fuel the flesh. They arrogantly assume unauthorized authority and they recklessly, irresponsibly, and irreverently operate in their lives. So why is it dangerous? So many reasons we've already pointed out, but, but whatever you're learning becomes a lifestyle. And that lifestyle becomes your legacy. And you may toy with some false teaching, but somebody that follows you may swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. So in closing, I think it's again good as we began to take a true teacher as we find in 1 Peter 5, 
but also in Titus chapter 1, and overlay that or lay it alongside this, all of these negative, ungodly characteristics, you find the direct opposite of that in the life of a true God-called, God-commissioned teacher. In Titus chapter 1. Beginning in verse 7. For a bishop, in this translation, others would say for an overseer, also a good translation. Uh, For an elder, interchangeable for pastor or teacher. For this man must be. These are not suggestions or options This man must be blameless as a steward of God, which means he's under God's authority and he's his steward, not self-willed. Do you remember what it said about false teachers? They are self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Covetousness is mentioned in a passage just prior to the one we looked at today, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound, healthy doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. The antidote to false teaching is a steady diet on the truth of God's Word. As it's proclaimed, as you read it, as you share it, as you memorize it, meditate upon it, that is the best antidote for false teaching. So everything this false teacher is, is contrary to Scripture. And everything a true teacher is, that false teacher is not. That's why heretics are harmful. So we have to love God and His Word more than we love to feel good, to feel powerful, or to feel like we have some sort of authority in the spirit world. So what I want us to do is uh, spend some time heart searching before we take communion today. We're going to sing a song, Search Me and Know Me. And I want to challenge you to, um, as I'm challenging myself, to go deep into your heart. As you're singing, search me and know me, uh, just ask yourself, Lord, or ask the Lord, Lord, have, have I gotten to where I come to your word to feel better rather than to follow better? Have I made concession for that which you hate? False teaching? Have I toyed with that which is demonic by 
just getting a dose every once in a while to feel better. Just let him search your heart. And as he shows us places in our lives where we need to correct our living, perhaps our teaching and our influence on others, let's do that together. Personally, let's make those corrections before the Lord in prayer. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.